you may have noticed a slight change in the furniture up here on stage. In fact, I think it's pretty hard to miss. First of all, there is clearly something going on over here on the edges of the stage. It's not done yet, so don't put your weight on it, but it will soon be done soon. There will be a banister that goes up uh, like a handrail as you go up. This is a project the church family decided to do with some of the money that B. Johnson left to the church. It will be great for people who need a hand up to get to the top of the stairs. I uh, learned firsthand this summer how helping a railing can be after my surgery. But the piece of furniture I'm talking about is this table right here, this communion table. Now, it's not going to be up here every Sunday, but I want to do something different this month to focus our minds and hearts together on the cross. We just recently finished the book of Romans. And the big question when you finish something big like 37 messages over a year and a half in Romans is, what's next, right? What's our next sermon series? What, what are we going to study next, Pastor Matt? Where are, we, where are we going to learn next? What's up next? And the big long-term answer to that question is the Old Testament books of First and Second Kings. First and Second Kings. Soon, we're going to pick up our long-term, ongoing journey through the big storyline of the Bible that we've been on since 2003. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel. So, 1 and 2 Kings is what's up next in the long run. But I don't plan for us to start up in those books this Sunday. In fact, I'm going to wait until after Resurrection Sunday. So not until April will we begin to dive into the stories of the kings. So what's next in the short run? Jesus paid it all. Cody just led us in singing a newer version of that song this morning. We're going to sing that every Sunday this month. So, so get used to it. By the end, we'll all be belting out that, that new chorus. Jesus paid it all. That's what this table is all about. The song says, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Did you ever have one of those moments when everything in the world made sense? When the penny dropped, so to speak, and you finally, you got it. Oh, I get it. When I was a very young man, maybe age 15, maybe 14, the choir at my home church was doing a cantata. Do you know what a cantata is? Cantata is the Latin for long, boring choir concert. I'm just kidding. Amy Jo, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. She's like, no. Actually, I love choir concerts. But a cantata is a longer choir concert, often on a single theme. And this was an Easter one. And I was listening closely. I, I don't always listen closely when I was a kid, but that day I was. I wasn't searching for something spiritual. At least I don't think I was. I was just sitting there listening to the singing. But the choir sang that song. Jesus paid it all. And a younger adult, a man by the name of Jim Arts, sang the verse as a solo. He just sang out, Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And the Holy Spirit used that solo at that moment 
to draw me to God and to give me an understanding of the gospel like I had never had before. I remember it so clearly. I can still hear his voice singing it. So choir, there's a word of importance. When you're singing, you don't know what 15-year-old you're affecting. I can still hear him singing it. And it strengthened my faith as I debated Christianity with my friends at that time. And I was going through some difficult adolescent uh, troubles and it, and it gave me something to stand on. All of a sudden, it was suddenly clear Jesus had paid it all. And I owed Him everything. Turn with me, if you would, to the prophecy of Isaiah. Chapter 53. Because the lyrics of that song are powerful, not because they're in a song, but because they're true. What they are saying is in the Bible, and probably the place where this is clearest is in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is one of the most famous passages of Holy Scripture, and rightly so. For it predicts the suffering of Jesus Christ over 700 years before He was born. Isn't that amazing? Isaiah was written at least 700 years before Jesus was a twinkle in His mother's eye. But when we read it today, you can hear it. It's so obviously about Him. Now it doesn't use His name. It actually refers to Him as God's servant. But you'll recognize Him. And it describes God's servant in prophetic terms as God's suffering servant. A servant undergoing an almost unbearable amount of personal suffering. Which is what this table represents. An almost unbearable amount of personal suffering. But not in vain. Suffering with a purpose. A glorious purpose. Now we won't be able to talk about every detail of this chapter. A few years ago I preached Isaiah 53 in three messages. Three different Sundays in a row. And I still didn't get to all the nooks and crannies and glorious nuances of this prophecy. But I do think that today we can feel the weight of it. That we could do some justice to the potent heaviness of it, the weightiness of this passage of Scripture, and feel it in our bones that Jesus paid it all. Let's pray together and see what's in here. Lord, help us to see. As the psalmist prayed, open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law. Give us ears to hear. Open our hearts, Lord, to this message. Maybe for somebody it will be the first time where the the penny dropped and, and it was just so clear. Oh, that's what they've been talking about, those Christians. Or maybe we just need to be led into it one more time. The thousandth time, the the ten thousandth time, the hundred thousandth time. To see that Jesus paid it all. Would you do that, Lord? We need a word from God and that's what Isaiah 53 is. So help us to hear it. 
We pray it in the name of the suffering servant. Amen. Let's actually start in Isaiah 52. The last three verses. Because that's where this part of the prophecy really begins to unfold. Jump up to 52.13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. God speaks first. In the King James, God actually says, Behold. In other words, look at this, folks. I have an appointed servant, and he will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Same words as Isaiah 6, when it says the Lord was lifted up and highly exalted. Same words. This servant is going to be lifted up and highly exalted. It starts on a good note. A trumpet call. Pay attention. Listen up. And that's important to remember because it goes down really fast after that. But it starts with a vision of the end so that we know that this story has a happy ending. No matter how awful the story gets in the middle, the end is going to be glorious. Verse 14, just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness, so will he sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Again, something good is going to happen. God's servant will sprinkle many nations. He'll purify them. He'll sanctify them. An alternate translation is he'll startle many nations. They'll be surprised so much that the kings will shut their mouths because of him. Can you imagine the kings going, oh, what? I never saw that coming. Nobody ever told me that this could happen, that this would happen, that he would do that. But to get there, to this sprinkling or startling of the nations, it will take massive suffering. Suffering on a scale like we've never seen. Verse 14 says that the servant's appearance would be disfigured beyond that of any man. I think that means he wouldn't even look human. Think about the cross. This whole month, think about the cross. Focus on the cross this March. Pick a Gospel. Pick Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And just read the last several chapters slowly and devotionally. Did you ever notice that that the Gospels are these biographies and they spend this inordinate amount of time on His last week? Why? Why? When you read Abraham Lincoln's biographies, every once in a while there's a lot about going to the Ford Theater. Okay? But there's all this stuff about the Civil War. right? Not one-third of the book on his last week. But with, but with the Gospels, that's what happens. Why? Because what was going on as Jesus went to that cross was monumental. Think about how they treated Him at His trial. At his scourging, at his crucifixion. You know, it used to be I could read those and not be moved. They just, well, you grew up with this story. This is what happened. But just read it and think this is history. This happened to this man. Do you think when they were done with him that he even looked like a man? In verse 1. 
the prophet speaks. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In other words, who's listening? Who's gotten the Gospel? Who has been paying attention? The kings of the earth weren't. Who gets what I'm saying about this suffering servant? He's the arm of the Lord. He's the Messiah who's been promised. He is the Lord's strength. Is anybody listening? Very few. Because he didn't seem like very much. Verse 2, he grew up before him like a tender shoot. Like a root. Out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to Him. Nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. Jesus? He didn't stand out in the crowd. Seemed like a little weed. A little shoot from the stump. Not a real tree. He wasn't going to be anything. He wasn't anything to be reckoned with. He wasn't a Joseph or a David or even a Saul. He came from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, it's like Pinchy. Can anything good come out of Pinchatoli? You aren't even on the map, folks. I'm offending everybody today, Amy Joe, not just not just the choir people. You see, that was part of his suffering. Jesus, who was God, laid aside his glory and lived in obscurity. He who deserved all worship decided to live a life of being ignored. Verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not we turned our backs on him we did not care that he was suffering he was obviously a loser only losers suffer but it turns out that that suffering he was going through was intended for us it was our suffering verse 4 surely he took up our infirmities. Notice the pronouns. They're very important. And carried our sorrows. Yet we considered Him stricken by God, smitten by Him, and afflicted. Those were our sufferings, it says. That's what He was carrying on. We couldn't pay attention. We couldn't care less. And He was actually going through that for us. Verse 5, but He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds we are healed. Jesus paid it all. Now I want this to be really clear. It is possible to see the suffering of Jesus and not realize that it's because of our sins. Verse 4 says He took up our infirmities, like our weaknesses. And He carried our sorrows, so that's like our sadnesses, our trials. So so one thing He did was suffer with those who suffer. He, 
He hurt with those who hurt. He was pained with those who are pained. And that's encouraging if you're someone who has experienced great suffering yourself or if you're going through great suffering. Jesus understands and is going through it with you. He is a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, including yours. But, verse 5 says something more than that. It says that these sufferings that the servant went through, and it's so obviously Jesus, isn't it? That these sufferings the servant went through were his sufferings because of our transgressions. Because of our iniquities. They're not just our trials, they're our sins. His hands were pierced because of my gluttony. Because of the times when I've gossiped. Because of my lust. Because of my hate. Because of my anger. Because of my jealousy. Because of my arrogance. Because of my deceit. And yours too. He was crushed. Because of your sins. Think about your last week. Think about your last seven days. How many sins? How many sins this last week? Either things you did that you shouldn't have done or things that you knew you should have done but you left undone. How many sins? Verse 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Substitution is the heart of the Gospel. Jesus got what we deserve. When you see Jesus on the cross in your mind's eye, this month, as you think about Jesus on the cross, realize that that is the treatment that you deserve for your crimes against humanity and more importantly, your crimes against the deity. Your crimes against God. The Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. What a statement. Jesus paid it all. Jesus suffered and we profited. That's the logic of the cross. Jesus suffered and we were the beneficiaries. Do you know you're in Isaiah 53 too? We see Jesus and it's so clear it's Him. But we're there too. We're the sheep. Stupid little sheep choosing our own way. No matter what, who we hurt, no matter how wrong we are. Verse 6 should read like this. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has sent us all to hell. But that's not how it reads. It says Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. That's like the definition of sin. And the Lord has laid on Jesus 
the iniquity of us all. By His wounds, we are healed. Saved. Jesus bore our sins. Now, I know that we say that all the time. That's the theme of our songs around here. But let's never take it for granted. Let's never get used to this idea. The servant suffered for our sins. And he did it submissively. Verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. That's Jesus at his trial, right? It's not saying he never spoke. It's saying he didn't speak in his defense at the trial. He didn't accuse his accusers. He could have. It's the kangaroo court. It was injustice to the highest degree. If he had just spoken, they would all have to go home. But he did not open his mouth. He had chosen this. And he was following his Father's will. Don't get the idea when it says it was, it was like a lamb to the slaughter. Like He was like, oh, I don't even know, I don't even know, I don't even know. Oh, oh I died. That's what it's saying. It's just saying, the Father took him. Here's where I want you to be. And he said, okay, Dad. Okay, Father, Abba. I will go do that. Because you've said to, because it will save many. I'll go do that. I won't open my mouth. I won't bleat and go, oh, no, no, stop, cut it out. Verse 8, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Isaiah is making it really clear he did not deserve this. But he died anyway. And he died for our sins. Isn't it interesting that he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death? I don't know what Isaiah must have thought when he was writing it, but I think on this side of the cross we can maybe see Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man giving up his tomb. Jesus was sinless. Jesus was innocent. Jesus was pure and spotless. Imagine he had never lied. Boy, I wish I could say that. Never lied. No deceit was in his mouth. Perfect. And yet he was sacrificed. Verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Friends, those are some of the hardest words in this whole prophecy to swallow. The King James Version very rightly translates it as God was pleased to crush him and cause him to suffer. Not because God is cruel, but because God is just and loving at the same time. Perfectly just and perfectly loving at the same time. And this, in God's wisdom, 
was the way to save His people from their sins. To be both just and the justifier of those who believe. Remember when we saw that in Romans 3? Here's the answer to the righteousness problem of the world. Our righteousness problem and God's righteousness problem solved in the death of Christ. Because Jesus' suffering was not in vain. Jesus' suffering, His sacrifice was salvific. His life was a guilt offering. Look at verse 10 again. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush Him and cause Him to suffer. And though the Lord makes His life a guilt offering, He will see His offspring and prolong His days and the will of the Lord will prosper in His hand. Wait, what? Right? What? I I, I thought it said the servant was going to die. Yes, it did. Pierced and crushed and slaughtered and taken away and cut off from the land of the living. A guilt offering, sacrificed up. But then it says he's going to be raised up. Good Friday was as evil as it comes, but Resurrection Sunday was just three days away. What's amazing about Isaiah 53 is that it not only predicts the crucifixion, but also the resurrection. Did you ever notice that? We always get the... We always get the death of Jesus from Isaiah 53, but there's also the resurrection here. Who's this offspring of the servant? He just said, who can speak of his descendants? There won't be any. He died. And now it says, he'll have all this offspring. It's us. We're Jesus' children by faith. We're God's children by adoption. And the will of the Lord will prosper in His hand. He's alive and strong. Verse 11, after the suffering of His soul, He'll see the light of life and be satisfied. By His knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. There's the language Paul picks up in Romans 3. Justify many. And He will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great and he'll divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus paid it all. You know what that means? It means that our debt is fully paid. And it means that Jesus will be rewarded for his suffering. And He's planning to share the rewards with us. Can you imagine? I mean, we're getting, this is getting crazy now. It's one thing for Him to, to pay for our sins, but now, after being rewarded for doing that, He's going to turn around and, and give the benefits of that to us. Did you, hear, did you hear God speaking again in verses 11 and 12? Remember, he spoke in, verse, in the first verse, Isaiah 52, 13. My servant will act wisely. He'll be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. And now at the end of this prophecy, he speaks again. I will give him a portion among the great. And he'll divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. God speaks. 
God says that He will reward His servant for paying that terrible price. That's what Paul was meditating on when he wrote Philippians 2. Christ Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus paid it all. He bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Do you feel the weight of it? Do you feel it this morning? That's what I felt when I heard that song sung when I was 15 years old. I got it. In many ways, it was the first time right then. I want to live there this month. Clarity. All the time, really, I want to live like that. But I want to dwell at the foot of the cross and look up and see my Savior and what He did for me. Jesus paid it all. Three points of application as we celebrate around this table. Number one is repent. I hope that none of us take Jesus' sacrifice for granted. Oh yeah, that's Jesus' job. You see, I do the sinning. He does the suffering. Great deal. Do we act like that sometimes? Thanks for the blood, Jesus. Appreciate it. Got some more sinning I want to do. It'll come in handy. When I read Isaiah 53 and see what Jesus did, what He went through for me, it should cause me to blush with shame over my sin. That's what my sin deserves. To regret my sin and to hate my sin and to turn from it. Not to pay for it. I can't pay for it. He's done that already. Jesus paid it all. But I can hate my sin. I can turn from it. I can wage war on my sin. Today at this table, tell the Lord how much you hate your own sin and turn away from it. Use this as a time of confession. If you don't see your sin at all, then don't eat this bread and don't drink from this cup. Because this is a meal for sinners. This is not a time where you come and you say, yeah, I've been pretty good this month. I think I'll eat it. No, opposite. No, this is a time where you say, oh, I'm so glad He died for my sins. Only sinners eat this meal. Only those who can see how vile they have been are welcome here. Repent. And number two, receive. Receive the forgiveness of sins. Jesus paid for all of them. He was pierced for your transgressions. He was crushed for your iniquities. The punishment that brings you peace was upon Him. By His wounds you are healed. By His knowledge. I think it's knowledge of suffering. God's righteous servant will justify many. Or as John put it, He was in the world, 
And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Receive him. Maybe for the first time. If you have not yet received Jesus as your Savior, we invite you to do so right now. This table is only for those who have received Jesus. Maybe for the thousandth time, receive His forgiveness. Because Jesus paid it all, your debt is paid. Walk in that. Don't keep trying to pay your own way. Receive His payment on your behalf. And number three, rejoice. Rejoice that all of this is true. Jesus is satisfied. Isn't that great when He says, my servant will be satisfied. That's Jesus right now. He's satisfied. He is happy about what He has done. What He did for us. And what the end result of it is. Even as we regret and repent of our sins, we rejoice that they are paid for. So praise Him. Praise the One who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Rejoice. Thank the Lord for His goodness and kindness and mercy and grace. This is a table of thanksgiving. It's a table of celebration. We are dividing the spoils with the Savior. Because He poured out His life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For He bore the sins of many and made intercession for us. As the men come forward, let us pray together. Lord, I I could never make this up. I would never come up with this kind of math. We sin. Jesus suffers. He's satisfied. You're satisfied. And now you're giving the spoils to the ones who put him there in the first place. How can we not be amazed? How can we not be taken, overwhelmed with the glory of the gospel? Help us to not miss it. To not say, yes, I agree with all that, and I've heard it a million times before. Help us to see the suffering, submissive, sin-bearing Savior And how He paid it all. I pray for anybody who's never yet seen it. That they would now. That the penny would drop and their their eyes would be opened to the Savior. And His sacrifice for them. Would you call somebody to trust you and follow you now by faith? Please, help nobody to to walk away unchanged.
All of us, Lord. Help us to hate our sin. To see that it put Him there. To confess it. To repent of it. To wage war against it. And also to be so thankful that it's gone. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. We praise You. We praise the One who paid our debt and raised this life up from the dead. In His name we pray.